quiz time. Like Jake said, we're reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Keep that in front of you. And we're going to be doing some flicking there, some flicking in Ecclesiastes 12, and some flicking in the New Testament. I wonder if you can guess what verse we're going to go to. Ten points if you guess. Uh, I wonder what some of the things are that you've enjoyed on this camp so far. I really enjoyed spending some time down at the pontoon yesterday, uh, jumping into the water, doing a belly flop that like hurt my face somehow, uh, watching all the year seven or eight boys do a Simo train, which is Simo, S-I-M-M-O, like the man Simon, not sumo, like the sumo wrestler. You know the jump where you like jump in and go like that and just like end any chance of having any generations after you. Um, super, super fun. I've loved some of the games that we've had. I've loved going on the water slide with Junior High. Uh, I am looking forward to theme night tonight. I'm loving the memory verse and singing in the sessions. There are so many good things that have happened on this camp so far, right? I'd love for you now to talk to the person next to you. You've got a minute. You've got 30 seconds. What's one thing that you've loved about camp so far? Go. All right. Um, we're going to have Rach and Brody coming around with the microphones. Um, what, what are some things that we have loved about camp so far? I want to hear five. The skits in the session. The skits have been incredible, haven't they? So good. Second one. Pontoon. Pontoon has been great, but I shared that, so that, that, no, that still counts. Thanks, Dylan. Um, getting to hang out with new people and, like, creating better friendships with your friends you already have. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Soph. Um, at Christchurch, we are all about growing as wholehearted disciples of Jesus through excellent teaching of the Scriptures in the context of Christ-like friendships. And camp is such a good way uh, that we get to do that. Two more? Uh, just bonding with the, the boys and friends. Bonding with the boys, bonding with the girls, having some fun with some people uh, that we are getting to know. Absolutely. And one last one? The worship. The worship, the singing has been excellent, hasn't it? Absolutely. Um, you can keep sharing those things after, but for now we're going to keep going in the talk because the truth is there is much to enjoy in life. Like we saw yesterday um, with the bubbles, life is beautiful. There are a lot of rich and precious experiences and there are times in our days and our weeks where we are allowed to stop and smile. We're allowed to stop and to thank God. There are people around to care for us. There is a God who has created everything beautiful in its time, like we saw yesterday. And later on in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, we read this verse. The, the teacher says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil, that is their work, but like a fancy word for it. This is the gift of God. It sounds like he's saying that there is meaning in this life. He sounds like he's saying there is meaning in this life. If life really is meaningless, then we just need to enjoy the time that we have here in the moment. We need to, it sounds really hippie, but we need to like live in the moment. Uh, if, if this is true, if it's true that everything is meaningless and that life on this earth is all that there is, then we need to soak up as much enjoyment as we possibly can and live as best a life as we possibly can because there's going to be a time where we won't be able to do that anymore. The author in Ecclesiastes is telling us that though everything is meaningless, we can enjoy these things as moments. We can enjoy every moment. Every moment. 
Moments come and moments go, but God has created every single thing. God has created everything for us, everything that is around us, everything that is in this entire world, God has made. Everything is a gift from the Creator. And how precious is that? We don't have to be full of this existential dread and be like, what's the point of having fun if everything is meaningless? We can actually really enjoy life while we can. We can thank God for the friends we have, for the pontoon. We can thank God for the new breakfast flavors, like the omelet that we had this morning. I hadn't had that at Youth Voice yet. That was pretty good. We can thank God for the family that we have. We can thank God for um, the campfires, for the laughs up the back of English class when you're at school. We can thank God for the next movie that's coming out we're looking forward to. And we can thank God at the joy in laughing at the awkwardness of your friends. Life is good. The life that God has made under the sun is a really good thing. There's some hard bits. But life is good. But life is going to come to an end. There's going to be a day on this earth, unless Jesus returns beforehand, where you will die. And I'm sorry if that's scary. I'm sorry if that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. But this is the reality of life. Just like that gorilla in the skit, everything will come to an end. Everything is meaningless because death comes for us all. Death comes for us all. One of the serious things about these moments we actually have to grapple with is that the things in this life won't last forever. The good memories, the friends, the, the things, there will be a moment where everything great and everything good will come to an end and the precious moments will cease. They will be no more. They have an expiry date. There's going to be a time in the future where you will no longer be alive. And we've got little samples of that. We've got little free samples of death as we get closer towards the end of our lives. Your body that once won sporting glory will start to hurt and ache. Even at the ripe young age of 26, your stupid shoulder might hurt after you lift Chase Darbin out of the pontoon, even though you asked him not to jump in there. That's what I did yesterday. Your mind that once achieved a high ATAR will one day dissolve to the point where you might be like my gran in her nursing home, still waiting for her husband to return and visit her, even though he died months ago. Your friendships will break down and decay as people fiddle with some other things and other priorities and you notice that you might not be one of them. There's little free samples of death that we get the whole way through life. While life is good, there are some things that are a part of it that show we're coming to the end. That we are on a collision course with death. We are on a trajectory for death and there will be no escaping it. There will be no amount of money that can buy life forever. 
There will be no amount of good things you can do to cover over the fact that you're on a crash course with death. Death comes for every single one of us. The day will come when you take your last breath, when your heart beats its last, and your soul, bound for eternity, will leave this world. No amount of knowledge can save you. No amount of experience can save you. No amount of worldly wisdom can save you. Death comes for us all. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 2. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked. The good and the bad. The clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not, as it is with the good, so with the sinful, as it is with those who take oaths, with those who are afraid to take them, we share the same destiny. Death comes for us all. We got a glimpse of this earlier in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 19, surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits us both. As one dies, so does the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless, and this is our destiny. All go to the same place, all come from the same Jews, and to dust all return. To dust all return. This is our fate. This is our destiny. This is where our life is headed. Our life is headed to a point where it will be no longer and we will be dust. Death wipes the scoreboard clean. You might have been playing a sports game at some point in your life where the game is just so uneven, right? There was a, um, a time... I've been on both sides, right? So I can, I can talk about it. There was a time when I was playing under 13s, I think, rugby league, and our team was like... Kings, right? We were in the B grade, just don't tell anyone. But we were kings and we were, we were yelling at the other team so they would run quicker, so we could kick the ball quicker, so then we could get the ball and so then we could get to 100 nil and not 96 nil. But I've been on the other side of those scoreboards as well, where you are just, you're 10 minutes in and you are absolutely dead and you are begging for the other team to show mercy. You are begging for the game to go over. And when the final whistle blows, the scoreboard usually reveals the winners. The, the scoreboard says 100, nil, 28, 31. But the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is that the death doesn't reveal the winners because there's no winners. Death reveals that everyone is on nil. Death reveals everyone has nothing. Death reveals that everyone is nil all. The final whistle will blow and there will be no more. There will be no more life. You might think you can ignore this. You might think you can ignore that death is coming for you. And so what, what will you do? You might chase as many experiences as you can so you don't have to think what is, about what is to come. You might make as many people around you as happy as possible so that you can leave some sort of legacy after you're dead. You might see the world before you're confined to a hospital chair or a nursing home before confined even longer in the ground. Some people like to ignore the fact that death is real. 
I was talking to Becky Shaw, who gave the combined fireside talk, one of our Year 11 leaders, uh, late last year, reflecting on uh, her grief and the loss of her friend. And she was reflecting, this, this happened during Year 12, reflecting that um, the school board, uh, or the, the Department of Education, I'm sorry, Becky, I forgot the exact words, that someone didn't offer any special considerations during the HSC exams because they said, grief has an expiry date. Like somehow we're meant to just hit a time after we've lost someone that we love, where we just move on, pretend like nothing has happened, and pretend this doesn't affect us, and pretend that we are okay. That's a blatant lie. This is, a, this is not the case at all. Death is a grievous evil. Death is disgusting. And the truth is that all the wisdom in this world can't do anything about it. Because what is coming to us is because of us. The death that is coming to us is because of our sin. Death comes for all because we have been living with ourselves as the main character. Chapter 9, verse 3. The same destiny overtakes us all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. There is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Death is coming for us not not just because of some weird out there problem that you can just let God deal with later. Death is not coming to us because something is out of his control. Death is not because of other people. Death is because of you and I. Because we play our part in shoving God out of the way in telling him, go away, I am in charge, I am the main character, and the Bible calls this sin. And the Bible says that sin is a relentless evil, and the Bible says that sin is why you and I are on a trajectory for death. Have a read of this verse again, but don't just talk about vague humanity. Read yourself into this. Your heart, moreover, is full of evil. There is madness in your heart while you live, and afterward you join the dead. How does that make you feel? The good news, though, the good news of Ecclesiastes, the good news of Jesus is that this isn't the end of the story. The good news is that though we are on a trajectory for death, God does something about it. And he has done something about it. And he has actually done something with our hearts that we may not be meaningless, but gives us an eternal meaning. Let's have a read of Ecclesiastes 3.11 again, uh, which we looked at yesterday, uh, where the author says, God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he's also set eternity in the human heart. God has set eternity in the human heart. We are all eternal beings. Have a look around this room. Every single person in this room has been made for eternity. We are not just the life that we live on this earth. We are not just our bodies and our minds and our accomplishments. We are built for something more, every single one of us. And the question is, what are you going to do about that eternity? 
Where are you going to spend your eternity? Eternity is here, and eternity is what you are meant for, but where will you spend your eternity? Because we're on a trajectory for death, and not just death, snap, we're gone, but eternal destruction, eternal judgment. Every single one of us has booked a one-way ticket to that destination. Eternal death, eternal suffering, eternal rejection. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm warning you of the path that you are on and that you are taking. Our memory verse says, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. God will bring every deed, every thought, every careless word, every time we lash out at one another physically or mentally or emotionally, God will judge us because of our sin. God will do something about the evil that is in our heart. And we need someone to do something about it. We need someone to fix this problem of the death that we are heading towards. There's an old, it's not that old, but there's an old TV show called Thunderbirds. Here are some pictures. Hands up, who knows Thunderbirds? Oh, yes, guys, thank you. I feel, I feel justified. My eighth birthday party was a Thunderbirds cake. Like, Dad made a Thunderbirds cake, and it was so good. I used to wake up at 6 a.m. every single day. No, that's not true. 6 a.m. every single Saturday, so I could watch Thunderbirds. Uh, there's this one episode called The Sun Probe. Oh, sorry, the premise of Sun Thunderbirds, for those who haven't seen it. It's this group of really rich people called the Tracys. Um, one of them's Alan and one of them's Scott. Mm, I, maybe, I don't know. I don't remember. It's been a while, okay? But the, the premise is that they're called International Rescue. And so someone calls up and goes, help me international rescue. And then they fly out of all their, their private island that they own in their rocket ship or their plane. They have a few Thunderbirds, which are like these cool machines. Look it up. Anyway, I'm really, I'm really cool. Um, but, but there's this episode called The Sun Probe, where there was these explorers... It's fictional, by the way, so you don't have to worry. It's, it's not real danger. But there's these explorers that are in this machine headed to test out kind of some of the... Um, some of the temperature of around the sun, some sort of scientific experiment near the surface of the sun. But while they're on their journey towards the sun, something goes wrong. They're steering like misaligns or something like that, and they can't control their ship. They're heading straight directly towards the sun. They're on a trajectory towards certain death unless someone helps them. Right? They can't do anything about it. They're, they're what, a one-way ticket to death. And International Rescue come in one of the Thunderbirds and knock this sun probe out of the way. They, they turn the sun probe away from the certain destruction that they are going to, the, going to face. Everyone cheers. It's the best thing ever. They have saved the helpless people that were heading towards certain death. While this is a little childish, this is a picture of us. We are in this sun probe heading towards certain death and we need someone to adjust our trajectory. We need someone to knock us out of the way of the collision course we have with certain eternal destruction. And this is where Jesus comes in. 
This is where the Son of God, 2,000 years ago, had done something significant, done something eternal, done something to change our eternity. And we're going to go to the book of John, chapter 11, and see what he has done. So turn to John. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is a story that we could do a whole camp on. This is a story we could do a whole term at youth on, just John chapter 11. Read it again at some point in your life. Read it again and again and again. You will see Jesus' humanity. You will see Jesus, his ability to empathize with our suffering. You'll see how he cares for his friends. You will see his power. You will see his peaceful control despite the situations around him being utterly chaotic. And he puts an end to the trajectory that each of us are headed towards. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, has died. There's no, there's no sugar coating it. Lazarus is in the ground. He's buried. They've had the funeral. They've wrapped him up in the um, ceremonial like, robes. He is a corpse. He is in a tomb and there is nothing that anyone can do about it. And something spectacular happens. Jesus actually says, Lazarus, get out. The Son of God himself, the wisdom of God himself speaks to this dead body and breathes life into his body because out of the grave runs Lazarus. To be reunited with family, to, to share and enjoy life all the more. And Jesus does this because of who he is. Jesus is comforting his sister, Lazarus' sister Martha at one point, and he says this. These are some of the most powerful words in the entire Bible, even though all of them are very powerful. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they will die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said this to Martha. But do you believe this? Just like Lazarus came out of, that day, out of the grave that day, Jesus calls us. Jesus is calling us to come out of the grave because he is the resurrection and the life. He is the one that has power over death. He is the one that will put an end to the trajectory of eternal death and destruction that we are facing. A few chapters after this, Jesus himself is struck down by death. And what happened to it? Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus murdered, as an un murdered unjustly, as even though he was a righteous man. He died the death of a shameful criminal that we've looked at in our quiet times. And yet... He triumphed over death. He rose to live another day, another year, to live all of eternity as the king raised alive forever. Jesus gives life. The main character of all of, his, all of existence is willing to die to give you life and then to share that life with you forever willing to end his own life for yours. He knew the evil in your heart when he was on that cross. He wasn't surprised by your darkness, by your selfishness, by the way that you look at people and judge them. 
by the way that sometimes you exclude people. Jesus knew that. He knew your mess and your evil, and yet he loves you. He went to the cross for you, and he rose from the grave for you. And this changes everything. As I was chatting with Becky, reflecting on the loss of her friend once again, she said this, Losing someone has taught me it's not grief that has an expiry date, but rather it's life that has an expiry date. But over time, working through the grief and learning how to live with the memory of a friend rather than the friend. I've learned that just because life on earth will eventually expire, there are a lot of rich experiences that will prepare us for a hope that is to come. We mature we grow, we care for and administer to, administer to others, and we catch glimpses of what our realized hope will look like. When Jesus has risen from the dead and transforms everything, we can look ahead at the life that is to come. Though life will expire on this earth, we have a hope that will endure forever. Jesus has given us life forever. Death has been arrested. We have life. Do you want this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Christchurch youth, do you believe that Jesus is risen from the dead? That Jesus has dealt with your sin. That Jesus is the righteous king over everything. Your saviour and your Lord. Will you recognise that Jesus is the main character? That Jesus is the king? And will you put your trust in him forever? Changing your eternity from eternal death to eternal life. I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to do this in just a second. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? If that is a yes for you, then in a second, I'm going to be praying this prayer. And I'd love for you to join me. Because God loves you. Because Jesus is the king. Because he is calling you to life with him. He's calling you out of that grave, just like Lazarus was. Death is coming for every single one of us. What are you going to do? I'm going to read this prayer line by line. And then I'm going to do it again. And I'd love for you to join me. If you want to put your trust in Jesus today, or if you realize that you need to pray this prayer again, just like I do, then please join me. I'm going to read it so we know what we're saying. Next slide, please. Maybe the past slide. Okay. I'm going to read a prayer that isn't on the slide, but I'll read it once, and then we can pray it with me. I'm going to say this. Father, you are the creator of all. You are true wisdom. You are the main character. You are the author of life. And Jesus has victoriously risen from the dead. I'm sorry for each time I've lived thinking I know better than you. I'm sorry for my sin, selfishness, and shame. 
thank you for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, give me life. Help me trust Jesus always. Help me submit to him always. Help me love you forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to pray that through again. Please join me. Father, you are the creator of all. You are true wisdom. You are the main character. You are the author of life. Jesus has victoriously risen from the dead. Sorry for each time I've lived thinking I know better than you. Sorry for my sin, selfishness, and shame. Thank you for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, give me life. Help me trust Jesus always. Help me submit to him always. Help me love you forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, have you prayed that prayer for the first time ever? Have you prayed that prayer recognizing that you've been putting yourself as the main character and and want to give that back to God and want to love Jesus as first and foremost in your life all of eternity, then that is the most exciting thing ever. I would love for you to tell your leader. I would love for you to tell the friend that brought you. I'd love for you to tell someone in your growth group, welcome to the family. Welcome to life forever with our King. We love you. We're so glad that you're here. We're going to sing and we're going to sing of Jesus. We're going to sing of his life and his death and his suffering and his resurrection that has changed eternity forever, has changed our eternity forever. Please stand. Let's sing.